Good morning, church. How are we doing? It's good to be back home, right? Amen. Why don't we uh, open up with the word of prayer, and then we're going to uh, get into our message for this morning. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father God, we are so grateful for the beautiful morning that you've given us to come before you and worship together as a family. Uh, Lord, I do pray that uh, our word, uh, my word, God, will be your word and that your spirit will guide uh, every word that comes from my mouth and, and from my heart. And I do pray, Father, that it will fall on uh, receptive ears and open hearts. Lord, as we continue to uh, study out the soul and, and to uh, just learn uh, a little bit more about ourselves and, and this eternal gift that you've put inside of each and every one of us, uh, we are truly grateful uh, for being made in your image, and we pray that we can uh, make you happy and glorified by the way we live. Lord, bless this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you're joining us for the first time, a few weeks ago we started a series called Soul Food. And we will not be selling soul food after the service. We're talking about spiritual soul food. Uh, nowadays, there were places in Harlem that I could tell you where you could go and buy some good soul food, but a few of those places have actually shut down, and so many new places have popped up. I'm trying to find a good soul food spot myself. So I'll just stay with the soul food I get at home. Uh, soul food. Mark chapter 12, verse 30 says, To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your... Amen. And that's what we want to do. We want to learn how to love the Lord our God with all of our soul, all of our being. The last time we were together, we talked about what the soul is. Uh, we talked about how the soul is, it makes up everything that's, that's, uh, that's a part of us. It's the deep part of us. It's what's in us. It's, it's in us. It connects our, our way of thinking. It connects uh, our feelings, our emotions. The soul is what moves and drives us. The soul is the only thing that will live on for eternity. It's the most important part of our being. And so how much attention should we give to taking care of our soul? And so today I want to talk about a type of soul for the next couple of weeks. We're actually going to talk about a few different types of souls, uh, but I want to talk about one in particular today, and the Bible talks about many types of souls, and uh, today I want to talk about the generous soul. Is that all right? It talks about many different types of souls in the scriptures. You know, we see the bitter soul in 1 Samuel 1 verse 10, the troubled soul in 1 Samuel 1 15. We also talk about, we see about uh, the loyal soul. In 1 Samuel 14, verse 7, we also know that the faithful soul is in there. 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 4. There's also the devoted soul. 1 Chronicles 22, verse 19. There's the grieving soul. We know Job's story. Job said that he's bitter in soul. And uh, we also know Psalm 23. Most of us grew up memorizing this one, so we all know about the restored soul, right? Who restores our soul? The Lord, right? It says the Lord restores my soul. So that means that the soul gets, can get to a condition where it needs to be restored 
to the Lord. And that happens more often than we realize. Whenever our soul drifts away from the spirit and power of God, it needs to be restored to its proper place, restored to its spiritual condition. And God has the ability to do that. And so there are many conditions and descriptions of the soul. Today, I want to look at the generous soul. You know, usually, a generous soul is connected to the word giving in the Bible. Generosity is a word Paul uses in 2 Corinthians for giving. It seems even Paul knew that it wasn't popular to talk about giving, so he uses the word generosity alongside giving. Now, who doesn't like a generous soul? Last, uh, yesterday, uh, me and a couple brothers, uh, one brother, uh, Armando, and a few brothers from Brooklyn, a couple sisters, we all went on a fishing trip up to Hyannis Port, Massachusetts. And the Lord was good to us that day. We caught a lot of fish. I mean, I caught about 43 fish. Armando caught 45 I mean, we were just pulling fish in the boat. It was so good. My line was dropping in the water. As it was going down, fish were hitting it before it hit the bottom. I mean, it was a great day. The Lord was generous that day. And I felt good, you know. And, and what made me feel even better, you know, there's a certain type. But we went for porgies. Anybody here knows about porgies? All right, so y'all know what I'm talking about. We went for porgies and sea bass. Sea bass is what you call the grand prize. Everybody wants to catch sea bass. And, you know, I caught one. I said, thank you, Jesus. I'm praying, God, because, you know, I want to be spiritual on my fishing trips. So I'm thanking Jesus for every fish I catch, especially for the sea bass. And when I pull it in the boat and I'm looking around and people are catching these big old sea bass, and, and, you know, I'm like, Lord, just give me, I just want one more, just one more. And, you know, Mondo's standing next to me, and he catches one, and he says, you know what, bro? I'm going to give it to you. I'm like, you sure? And look, Usually, I'd be like, no, bro, you go ahead. You, you keep your fish, man. You know, you, you, you work for that fish. I said, bro, thank you. He was being generous, and I was going to allow him to practice generosity. And so I took that sea bass, and I put it in my bag with a heart full of gratitude towards my generous brother. We all, who doesn't like a generous soul? In Scripture, a generous soul was one identified with the attitude more than the act. And that's important. That's important. You can give without being generous. You know, I've been convicted myself when giving to homeless people on the street. I've given out of frustration. I've given out of uh, duty, you know, just give it because I'm like, I, you know, just... I don't always give because I'm trying to be generous. And so it is possible to give without being generous. Someone asks you for a ride. You, you're tired. You want to go home. You'll give them a ride. But in your heart, you're like, <sighs> Now, what's really bad is if you tell somebody that you're denying yourself. You want to be able to, you want to get to a point where you're denying yourself and it will show on your face. Don't tell somebody, bro, I'm denying myself right now. I just want you to know that. Just drop them off on the car, let them take the bus. They'll enjoy the ride a lot better. But it's, you can actually give. You know, Charles comes up 
every week, and he talks about our giving. You know, he, he does a great job at helping us to have a give with the right hearts. And, and I appreciate that because, you know, Charles comes from, he comes from a country, he comes from a place where, you know, there's, there are impoverished areas, and we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes, but, you know, he comes from a place where he's seen extreme poverty, and he knows what it's like to be in need, he knows what it's like to see other people in need. And he also has, play, has been witness to seeing generosity, even among people who had very little to give. And so you can give each week without being generous. We can get into a habit of giving without being a generous soul. Does that make sense? And so God doesn't just want us to give. He wants us to be generous. He wants us to be a generous. He wants our soul to not just be givers, but to be generous givers. He doesn't just want you to give your time. He wants you to give your time because you really want to help the person asking for you to put yourself out of your way to help them. God wants our attitude to be different. You know, I can't imagine Jesus healing someone with a bad attitude. And people were pulling at Jesus from left and right. But every time Jesus healed someone, you get the impression that he really wanted to. When he approached Jerusalem, it says that he wept for Jerusalem because they had no clue of how God really wanted to embrace them and love them and shower them with blessings. And that's the heart that Jesus had when he approaches people that he gives to. You know, I remember teaching our kids how to share with each other. I'd say, you know, to my daughter, give your brother peace of that. And she would literally give him a piece, almost like she was measuring it out, and she would give him a piece. And I couldn't, I couldn't get upset because I'm like, well, I did say give him a piece. But she's a lot more generous with her brother today. You know, she actually, in the morning, she'll make breakfast for herself, and she'll make breakfast for her brother without us even having to ask. And you, that's what you want your kids to get to, right? When you're teaching them to share and be generous, you want them to want to do it on their own. And that's the point is that you sh- when, you, when you give, it's you're giving because you're being asked to. When you're generous, you give because it's in you. So no one has to ask you to give because you're generous. It's, it, 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 it's already in you. It's your attitude to seek out the need, and you give because it's coming from a place of generosity. In 2 Corinthians, Paul uses two out of the 13 chapters to speak about generosity. And before he speaks about generosity in chapters 8 and 9, he writes about the mission we have in the ministry of reconciliation in chapter 5. Now, generosity in the scriptures that Paul points to is connected to the mission. June 11th is the day of our special contribution. This contribution is also our mission's contribution. And it goes to support the mission work in programs, in uh, mission work programs in Africa, the Caribbean, right here in New York. You know, we have a, a ministry training academy, and, and we train, we're training ministers for missions, uh, which is awesome. And it also goes to support the strength and weakness ministry for those who are same-sex attracted and need encouragement and strength and direction. And so when we give 
to this special contribution, it goes to meet the special needs that are outside of our local family of churches. Now, New York has a long history of helping churches in Africa and the Caribbean. And we've been helping ministries in these areas for over 25 years. Now, if you've been to countries like Haiti, the Ivory Coast, Nigeria, and other parts of Africa, then you know how great those needs are. Plus, in Africa, especially in Africa, the fields are ripe for harvest. You know, uh, projections show that the center of Christianity soon will no longer just be in Europe and the United States. In fact, it will be Africa and South and uh, Southern and Central America. And so when we give to help the mission work there, we're actually helping to reach parts of the world that we would never get a chance to visit in our lifetime. And so that is an awesome thing. We're helping to field, helping a field that is responding to the message. And I love that because, you know, we may never get to visit Africa. We may never get to visit some of our brothers and sisters in the other Caribbean countries, but at least we can help them spread the word, spread the gospel where they're at. You know, this week, it got so hot, my neighbors started breaking out their fans, and I was tempted to put ours in the window. But my wife has been really good about helping me protect my back, so we just sweat it out. And people were breaking out their fans. They were breaking out the ACs. And I just got to say, it is a blessing to just be able to identify that you're hot and be able to walk, take your plug, and put it in the outlet, and it works. We often take that for granted. Or getting in your car, turning it on, for those of us who drive, hit that AC button and be instantaneously cooled and feel your body core temperature drop a few degrees. I sit in the car and just wait sometimes because I know what's waiting for me outside. And I'll just take in all that AC and, and it just feels good to know that I have a dependable source in electricity. In Haiti, the electricity is unreliable. It often cuts off in the middle of the night. You know, whether you're a family, whether you're single, whether you're a, a parent in Haiti, that is a chance, that is a reality you have to live with. We have churches in Haiti, and uh, I just wanted to show you, there's a couple here uh, Volvic, this picture is really bad, but um, the brother and his wife, Volvic, and uh, Florette uh, Timot, they're a senior ministry couple there back in Haiti. They're in front of their home before, uh, here you see, before right here, this, is, this was what happened as a result of Hurricane Matthew. They had no roof over their home. The walls came down. And this is the result of afterwards. When we gave that contribution to go to support relief efforts in Haiti, that's what your, your contribution did. Amen? But that's the life of people in Haiti. They often go without electricity. And the same is true in Nigeria. But in Nigeria, most families have generators in their homes. So you either, you know, you either have electricity or you have a generator. Now, you know, for those of you who have use a generator, 
You need gas for, for the most part. So there's health risk that comes with that. But if you need electricity, then it's like, you know, you got to do what you have to do. Now, in Haiti, people can't afford generators. It's one of the poorest countries in the world. They can't afford generators. So they simply wait for the electricity to come back on. So imagine just sitting in front of your fan and you finally got that cool breeze, you know, that warm air to circulate and you get that cool breeze and then it cuts off. And you don't have no idea of when it's going to come back on. That's the reality. The house of the lead evangelist in Port-au-Prince, he has no running water. I took a shower last night after my fishing trip. And I was thinking, God, that I had hot water coming out of my shower and that I can just get in and wash off the, the, the stench of fishing. That's not the case for everyone in Haiti. They can't just take a hot shower. They can't just take a cold shower if they have no running water. Every day or two, a neighbor would open a faucet on the street and the people would line up and fill buckets with water and take them back to their houses. They fill larger buckets with water and use that to wash dishes and prepare food and to flush their toilets. You know, my wife and I, we had a chance to visit the church in the Bahamas two years ago. My mom, she had uh, given us an anniversary gift. Uh, so we were able to go to the Bahamas. My wife was a part of a wedding there. So it just all worked out. And uh, we stayed in a really nice hotel, a really nice hotel. We had water. We had electricity. It was great. We got to visit and worship with the church there, which was awesome. I mean, you know, the, the disciples there were incredible. They took us to the lo local. Uh, I, 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 didn't wa I wanted to eat where the locals ate because I know that that's where I'm going to get the real good food. And they took us to this place called a fish fry. I'm like, I'm thinking my understanding of a fish fry is somebody's backyard and they got a grill on and they're frying some fish. In Bahamas, it's a whole strip of seafood restaurants. And you can get cracked conch, conch salad, conch fritters. I had every last one. I can tell you how conch fritters taste. I can tell you how cracked conch tastes. I can tell you, I mean, it was ridiculous. And the portion sizes, I mean, it was suited for a king. And it was just awesome. I definitely, I didn't care how much weight I put on. I'm like, I am going to enjoy this. And it was awesome. And so we, we got a chance to worship with the church, the church there. We, we got to, uh, you know, hang, hang out, go on a few dates with some of the disciples there. And I asked one brother, I said, you know what, can you take me? to the areas where everybody else lives? Because I know this isn't it. This ain't reality right here. Take me to where you guys live, to where the poor people live. Now, I should have asked him to take me during the daytime. <laughs> but I'm thinking, I grew up in East New York, Brooklyn. I grew up in one of the roughest areas in New York. So surely, surely, I can, I can, I can handle the hood. Right? I mean, we, you know, I live in Harlem. I lived in the Bronx. I'm like, surely I can handle an international hood. <laughs> so, I don't know if you guys, this is, so here, this is a, a section called Over the Hill. And it's literally over a hill. Once you go over this hill, you now enter the hood. And this was a few blocks away from where we stayed at our hotel. So we could literally walk over the hill where we were staying. 
So this brother took it now. These are, these are shots in the daytime. I saw this at night. And I got to be honest with you. My window was down because it was hot. As we were going through, my window went up. And all that, being from Brooklyn, that, that stuff went right out the window. And I hung, I held my wife's hand. I'm like, because I don't know what's going to happen, what's going to go down. You know, you're driving through these streets. And, and I'm thinking, you know, like surely nobody lives here. And then you see somebody come out of the house. And I'm thinking, wow, this is intense. And, you know, so as we were driving down the street, I noticed that there were pipes coming out of the street. And they had like a faucet attached to it. So I asked, I said, hey, bro, what, is, what are those pipes in the middle of the street? He said, that's where people get their water. They don't, these houses don't have running water. I'm like, what do you mean? He said, yeah, this is where, this is like, this is how they get their water. So I'm like, so if someone uses the toilet, they have to get water. To, he said, yep, they, they get water to, to cook. And I'm thinking, I'm staying two blocks down the street. I just turn on the faucet, water, water comes out. I step in the shower, no problem. And there are people two blocks away. And that's how they're surviving. And it really convicted me. It really convicted me. You know, it doesn't matter how bad your situation is. There's always someone who has it worse. And a generous soul understands that. They understand that God gave to me and gives to me so that I could give to others. So that I'm in a position not just to enjoy life, not just to enjoy the American dream, but to help someone else's dream be realized. And I love what, you know, what, uh, what our brother shared for communion, how he came and he was chasing his dream and how God basically had a different dream for his life. And how his family was back in, in Africa and now they're here. You know, that's what it's supposed to be like. You know, when God blesses our lives, then we're supposed to refresh others. We're supposed to help others. And now his whole family is here, and they get to enjoy what he gets to enjoy. And so, but that's been God's plan all along. You know, our churches in Haiti, we have several churches in Haiti. And one of the things that I realized about our visit, you know, I hope one day to visit, you know, our churches in Africa and Haiti, but just being able to visit with our brothers and sisters in the Bahamas and those who lived in those neighborhoods were some of the most generous people. I mean, they were giving. They were, you would never think that they lived where they lived. We're at church and we're worshiping and I'm sitting here thinking, I wonder who lives over there. And Because you couldn't tell. There was no one sitting down like, you know, my situation. Everyone was worshiping it, and it probably helped that we were we had church on the beach, too, so I'm thinking that probably helped as well. But it, it amazes me that the most generous souls are often the ones with very little to give. Very little to give. So let's get into the Bible here for a second. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let's read uh, verses 1 through 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. Says, and now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. 
For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and beyond and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own. Right there. That's a generous soul. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also the completion to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the, test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through poverty, his poverty, might become rich. You know, one of the things that Paul points out here, he identifies what a generous soul looks like, some characteristics of a generous soul. And the first thing that Paul points, points to is a generous soul gives themselves first to the Lord. In speaking of the generosity of the Macedonian churches, Paul says in verse 5, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. Now, their generosity began with giving themselves first to the Lord. And that's where any good aspect in our lives begin. It begins by surrendering our life to Jesus. And after you surrender your life to Jesus, he fills you with the spirit and the fruit of his spirit. In Galatians 5 Excuse me, Galatians 5, 22, verse 23, it reads, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Where does generosity begin? It begins with surrender. It begins with making Jesus Lord of your life. Have you ever heard the story of the man who was baptized? Uh, he was just about to get into the baptistry. He answered the two questions. You know, what is your good confession? Jesus is Lord. And then the man who studied with him started to put him under the water. The man got under the water except that the guy's right arm was protruding through the water. And the man baptizing the guy tried to push the arm under the water, but the guy under the water was having none of that. He kept that arm up. The man noticed that the guy had something clenched tightly in his fist. He looked closer, and he saw that the man was clenching his wallet. He was ready to put everything under the water except his wallet. Surrender doesn't work that way. When we surrender to Jesus, we surrender everything to him. Is there anything you haven't surrendered to Jesus? You see, in order to be generous, it begins with surrender. And when you look at the Macedonians, they were begging for the opportunity to give because they had been given too. They had been begging for the opportunity to give to contribution. How do you feel when that basket comes your way? 
Are you anxious? Can you, you just can't wait. That's your favorite part of the service. Do you look for when they're going to bring that basket out so I can give to the Lord? I don't even think that way. But when you have an opportunity to give, are you excited? Because you've been given so much. You see, they were generous out of their own extreme poverty. Even in your extreme situation, you still have something to give. And I'm not just talking about money. There's your, your, your time. There's your heart. Your talent. Your abilities. Your encouragement. Some of us, we just keep our encouragement to all to ourselves. There's people who can use some encouragement. But you see, a generous soul looks for the opportunity to give. When they come to church, they don't just expect to be given to. They look for opportunities to give because they're generous. If you want to be a generous soul, you first have to surrender all you have to Jesus. And I love that old song that says, all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will gladly love and serve him in his presence daily live. I surrender all. You guys, we we know that song, right? We sing that song. But have you surrendered all to Jesus? Have you surrendered your life, your ego, your marriage, your family, your time, your possessions, your talent, your dreams, your jobs? Your desires. Have you surrendered it all to Jesus? Generosity begins first with surrender. Secondly, generosity is an act of grace. In 2 Corinthians 8, verses 6 through 7, it says, So we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel, in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Your generosity is also called grace. And throughout the chapter, you see different ways the word is used and how it's used together. In verse 4, it's also, called, it's also connected to giving and privilege. Verses 6, this act of grace could also be thought of as generous undertaking or just simply grace. In verse 7, grace of giving, generous undertaking, grace. And so giving isn't a work that we do to please God. It's an act of grace where we respond to God's generosity towards us, being generous with what he's given to us. Let me say that again. Generosity is an act of grace where we respond to God's generosity towards us by being generous with what he has given to us. If you truly believe that what God has given you and what you have has been given to you by God, then you will be generous as God intends. You see, before you gave anything, God had already given you everything. Let me say that again. Before you had given anything, 
God had already given you everything, the job you have, wasn't because your resume was so impressive. It was because God decided to give you that job. Where you live, God chose you over everybody else that was waiting for that apartment. The car you drive, the kids you have, the marriage you have, where you come from. You know, I was driving, dropping a brother off. We, we were dropped off in Brooklyn for this fishing trip, and I was driving through my old neighborhood. And I was telling the brother different places of where I walked and different where I used to work and all these things. And all these memories started to flood back. And I thought, God protected me. Even from a young teenage age, I'm here because God's hand was on my life. I didn't know what God had planned for me. But I'm thinking there are friends who didn't survive the same neighborhoods and streets that I walked. They're no longer here because of the violence that plagued my neighborhood, but I am. And so who am I to keep my life to myself? I'm here not to just say, yes, I can go and enjoy life. My life is full of God's generous blessings. And so if I give, it's because God gave me everything. I can't even claim my own marriage. I wish I could say I was a spiritual guy that, 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 that moved this sister off her feet, that I took her on some amazing dates, that she just fell all over me. You know why I have Zalika Warren in my life? Because God chose her for me. She was dating another brother when we first met. We, had no, we didn't have each other in our mind. I had no idea that that relationship wouldn't work out. But it did for my benefit. His loss is my incredible gain. And I thank Jesus for that. I, can't, I couldn't orchestrate that. In your life today, you couldn't put that together. We got a heart enough time trying to keep it together. More or less put it together. In fact, James 1, verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly heights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Our generosity is a response to God's generous gift to us. Giving is an opportunity for us. It's based on grace. You know, this is a play on words here because grace and gift are the same word in the original Greek. When you look up the word charis, it's the same word, grace and gift. And so our grace, being strong in the grace is being strong in the gift from God. It's, in, it's, it's living, it's using it to its, its fullest potential in our lives. So when you give, you experience grace. And when you experience grace, you give. But what's the difference between grace and works? Because I think sometimes we don't really understand what grace is. And God has really given us an amazing thing when he gave us grace. You know, grace, when you look at works and you look at the attitude of works and the attitude of grace, 
A works attitude is I have to. Grace is the attitude of I get to. Work says it's Sunday and I have to go to church. Grace says it's Sunday and I get to go to church. Work says I have to share my faith. Grace says I'm blessed and I get to share my faith. Work says I have to read my Bible. Grace says I get to read my Bible. Works says I give, I have to give to special contribution. Grace says I get to give to special contribution just like the Macedonians did who begged for the opportunity to give. That's the difference between a works attitude and a grace attitude. I don't have to be a disciple. I get to be a disciple. I don't have to serve my brothers and sisters. I get to serve my brothers and sisters. You know, works is based on duty and obligation. Grace is based on gratitude and a feeling of privilege and a sense of honor. And that's whenever someone asks me, what do I do? I'm like... I serve the Harlem region. I see it as a service. I see it as, an op- I see it as a God-given privilege and honor. I could say I'm the evangelist of the Harlem region of the New York City Church of Christ. I could say I'm the leader of the Harlem region of the... It's all just titles. I'm talking about who I am. When I I see myself as a servant, it sets me up for the right attitude. I answer phone calls. I reply to emails and text messages because I'm a servant. When I'm just a leader, when I'm just a title, they have to go through channels to get to me. That's not a leader. That's not a servant of God. That's somebody who works for the church. I serve the church. It's a difference. See, the difference between grace and works is that grace is a privilege. Works is a duty. We don't have to be disciples. I want to say that again. We get to be disciples of Jesus. You were called. Some of us had nothing to do with church until someone called us, reached out to us, invited us, harassed us, chased us down, haunted us. Some of you got bullied into coming to church. If you don't come to church, you ain't going nowhere. And that's all our kids, right? Our kids are like, that's right. You got bullied in Jesus. That's what that is. We're called. We were called by God. Romans 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel. Romans 1, 6, verse 7. You also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Called to be saints. Romans 8, 28. Who have been called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 30. He also called those he called. He also justified. In 1 Corinthians 1. 
verses 9. God who has called you into fellowship with the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Galatians 1, verse 6. The one who called you by the grace of Christ. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen people. Him who called you out of darkness. We were called out of darkness. We didn't leave on our own will. We were called out. Just like somebody who was wandering in the wilderness, bumping in the trees, tripping over rocks, hearing someone calling our name. And we followed that call and we were led out of the darkness and into the wonderful light. That's what happened to you. So even if you search for churches on the internet and you found a church, it was God who calls you and put that in your heart in the first place. We were called. The root word for call is welcome, invited, summoned, called to. So a generous soul is one who understands that it is a privilege to give. And they're eager to do so because they were called by God to join in. God just didn't want you to be left out. And so he called you to be a part of this. Peter said the disciples of Christ are chosen. That root word is elected, selected, picked out. The very word ecclesia means called out for a purpose. Do you excel? In the area of giving because you are a generous soul. Paul tells the Corinthians you are doing many things in an excellent manner. You excel in faith. You excel in speech. You excel in knowledge. In complete earnestness and love. And we need to thank God that we grow in these areas. We need to praise God that we've grown in knowledge. That we've grown in our education. That we've matured in areas. But then he says... Excel in the area of giving. Make sure you excel in that area too. You know, our special contribution, what we do give, it averages out to about 10 times what we give on a weekly basis. Some of us can give more. If we really decided, you know what, I could be more generous in this area. Some of us, can only give what we gave. But every one of us can give something. Every one of us is in a position to be generous within our means to the glory of God. No one has, God has given us, if, you, if you're on a fixed income, God has set you up to be able to give. If you have a income, God, you know, I thank God that all throughout all the transitions in my life, as a disciple, I've always been able to give back something. There were times where I was able to give a couple hundred dollars. There was times I was only able to give $20. But I was able to give something, and I was just great. I just felt like God has given me so much. How could I not give back? How could I not give? When I was asked to serve, I had the attitude, I don't know about that. I'm not, I've been there, done that. But then I'm thinking, James, you've been given so much too. How could you not give that time that God just opened up for you? We need to give. And lastly, generosity imitates Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 8, verses 8 through 9, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity 
of your heart, by your sincerity of your love, by comparing with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. You know, when we're generous, we imitate Jesus. When we're generous, we walk in the steps of Jesus. And Jesus, though he was rich, he became poor for our benefit. So when you are generous, we are being like Jesus. You know, one of uh, the first words little children, children learn, aside from mommy and daddy, is mine. And they cling to a toy and they say, mine. And you're thinking, I didn't teach you that word. Where did you learn that word from? Somehow in their little brains, they figured out that this toy is mine. And, and you know, it's like, well, we're... How did this word come into the saintly child? Like how? And, you know, and we try to teach them new words like share. Let's share. And we try to teach them how, what that means. And they reply, mine. And they get upset. No, mine. And, and then this tug of war ensues. And then, you know, and then you're like, no, we need to share. And then you, you just stop. You, you, you choose your values. So, you know, we'll come back. We'll revisit this another time. Right. And then you see something magical happens. Maybe it's on a play date. Maybe it's a church. Maybe you're at the park. And you see your child walk up to another child and share. How does that make you feel as a parent? I mean, that just makes me feel good when I see my two children sharing with each other. When I take my son out to the store and he's like, I want to get this for Siani. Or my daughter, she, she'll give, some, you know, give something that, she, that belonged to her to her brother that he was, like, nagging her for. And she just gives it to him just out, of, just out of the kindness of her heart. That makes a parent feel so good. Now, imagine how it makes God feels when we're generous towards one another. When we give to those who are in need, instead of saying, mine, we share. That's got to make God feel so happy. This is why we need to keep Jesus before us at all times. He shows us what it means to be generous. He shows us what it means to live for God and to live for others. His life was full of generosity. You can't tell me that Jesus wasn't tempted to take more naps than we actually read about in the scriptures. But Jesus gave. He saw the need. It, it just flew. It, just, uh, it flowed out of him. And he fed the hungry, he clothed the naked, he healed the sick, he fed the poor, he caused the lame to walk and the blind to see. He walked from town and town to village to village doing good to others. He gave his time, he poured out his life for others. And then at the end of his life, he gave the ultimate gift, which was his own life on the cross for the loss of our sins. And even then, as he was hanging on the cross, Jesus was still giving. He looked at Mary, and he looked at his best friend, and he said, Mother, here's your son. Son, here's your mother. He was giving to his mother. He was giving to his friend while hanging on the cross. I mean, of all the times to be given a pass, to be selfish, that was it. But even dying, Jesus gave from his deathbed. Jesus excelled in generosity. 
And we need to imitate Jesus and be generous as well. You know, back to the child example that clung to the toy and said, mine. You know, as a parent, when we feel, when we see our children give and being generous towards one another, it, it, just, it just makes us burst with pride. And it makes us feel happy. And, and as we conclude, I just want to say that God, if you, if you have thought of ways, how can I make God happy? How can I please God? What can I do to make a difference? Start with being generous. Start with giving some time. So start with giving more of yourself. We all have something to give. You may not feel like you're a leader. You don't have to be a leader in order to give. You don't even have to be on the stage in order to give. By you singing and smiling, you're giving to us as we worship God from the, from the, from the uh, worship team. When you smile and you're giving yourself, that's being generous. And we feed off each other. There are so many people here who could benefit from what God has put in your heart. You know, generosity begins with giving yourself to God. Generosity is an act of grace. And generosity is imitating Jesus Christ. I want to close out with this one story, and then we'll end. I want to read a quote to you from Stephen King. Yes, that's Stephen King. The one who wrote The Shining, Shawshank Redemption, Misery, and Carrie, and about 50 other books as well. You know, Mr. King has something to say about generosity, and I think it would be good for us to really take note of what he said. A few years ago, he was going about his normal afternoon walk, and he was hit by a van. And he landed in a ditch and almost died. And after his long recovery, he wrote this. I found out that you can't take it with you. I found out what that means. I found out while I was laying, lying in a ditch at the side of a country road covered with mud and blood, and with the tibia of my right leg poking out the side of my jeans like a branch of a tree taken down in a thunderstorm. I had a MasterCard in my wallet, but when you're lying in a ditch with, a broken, gla- with broken glass in your hair, no one accepts MasterCard. We all know that life is extreme, but on the part- particular day in the months that followed, I got a painful but extremely valuable light. Look at life's simple backstage truth. We come in naked and broke. We may be dressed up when we go out, but we're just as broke. Warren Buffett is going to go out broke. Bill Gates is going out broke. Tom Hanks is going out broke. Stephen King, broke. Not a crying dime. All the money you earn, all the stocks you buy, all the mutual funds you trade, all of that is mostly smoke and mirrors. So I want you to consider making your life one long gift to others. And why not? All you have is on loan anyway. All that lasts is what you pass on. You have the power to help, the power to change. And why should we refuse? Because we're going to take it with us? Oh, please. Right now, we have the power to do great good for others, so I ask you to begin giving and to continue as you began. I think you'll find in the end that you got far more than you ever had and did more good than you ever dreamed. So if you don't take it from me, 
Take it from Mr. King. And don't just take it from him. Take it from Paul. Take it from Jesus. Take it from God himself. Be a generous soul. To God be the glory.